Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Um, the Sunday, next Sunday, obviously. And my, my focus, uh, you know, everyone's hurting. I mean, I hurt, you hurt, everyone hurts, right? But I want to focus on a particular group, those that have been through separation and divorce. Okay, but the message could apply to those who have lost a loved one because there's a tremendous grieving process that goes with loss. So I want to talk about how do you help people going through this pretty intense grieving process, pretty intense hurting situation. That's what we're going to do uh, for the next two Sundays. So I'll get ready for that. Now I realize, you know, when I talk about divorce, some people have been divorced. And I'm not trying to dredge up old memories to cause pain or anything like that. But I do want to paint a little picture to start out uh, just what people are going through. And hopefully it will kindle some compassion in our hearts for people because we really do need to help people. Uh, So that's where I'm coming from on this. Um, You know, just imagine somebody who maybe uh, grows up alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and then they get saved, right? And they get off of it, which is good. Uh, But then they get married and they have a family. But for whatever reasons, they start to fall back into their old habits. And they start drinking again. They start doing drugs again. And then they get angry. And they're frustrated. They're really not walking with God the way they should be. They're not walking in His power. So they start to yell at their children. They start to yell at their wives. Uh, So there's verbal abuse going on. Uh, The marriage is not in good shape. And then there's physical abuse that happens. And um, it just deteriorates. It degenerates from there. Uh, If it gets bad enough, the woman has to leave the house and separate from the situation. And of course, if they have children, children are caught in the middle, right? And so now children are going through a very difficult situation. And that process, if you... you, I haven't gone through that process, but I know people that have gone through the process. And it's horrible. I mean, it it, it lasts for years. And the, the damage that Satan tries to bring on people can last for years and years and years. And they, they need help. And uh, imagine another situation. Maybe maybe uh, you're a, a wife and your marriage is stale. It's grown stale over the years. Um, and at work, there's a guy who's given you attention and kind of pursuing you at work. You know, a little bit flirty here and there. It's cool, it's cool. Uh, but you eventually start emotionally getting attack, a, attached to him and you fall for him because at home it just isn't happening. And eventually you end up sleeping with the guy and you realize, well, I married the wrong guy. I mean, I love this guy. I mean, it's clear that the one I'm married to is the wrong guy. And that justifies your separation and divorce. So now, if you're this woman, what are you going to tell your kids? Well, dad was, really, he wasn't a very good dad. 
I mean, you've got you to gotta justify your actions at some point, right? What if, what if your children are like teens? What are you going to tell them? You're going to come up with something like, well, Dad, really, it, Dad's kind of, Dad's not right. There's just something about it, and it's better if we're away from him. And now your, your children caught in this. And if you're the dad, and that happens to you, how do you feel? Your whole world is rocked, right? I mean, you just lost your wife and children. She takes the children. She goes with the other guy. Your history. So now you're alone. You're depressed. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're, you want to die. I mean, you see, things happen. And then, you know, of course, the children, children of divorced uh, parents, they have an 80% chance of getting divorced. And again, if, if you've been in that situation, you can just rebuke what I just said because you don't need to receive that, right? I'm just telling you statistically what's out there. In other words, it's, it's a serious affair. And these people, I'm talking about the church now because what's the divorce rate in the church? It's at least 40%, probably 40-50%. Um, I, I researched it a, a number of times and you get different numbers, but it doesn't matter one divorce is bad enough, right? It hurts. And then we have a stigma in the church because I'll stand up and here and tell you God hates divorce with a stern voice, right? So now you're getting divorced. Do you want to come and listen to me tell you that God hates divorce? No. Hopefully I'm gracious, right? Hopefully pastors are gracious. Unfortunately, Pastor Willie's is extremely gracious. So you don't go to church anymore because it hurts too much. Or you've received counseling in church and you're hurt. It doesn't go the way you think. Uh, Your situation doesn't improve, so you want to blame the person that counsels you. So you don't go to church anymore. And it's it's really uh, a nasty uh, cycle that spins out of control. So, I mean, what's going on with this? What's causing all this? Is it social media? Is it uh, you know the breakdown of the family? Um, is it R-rated movies? Well, I think all those things can contribute. But one of the things I, I want to just emphasize today a little bit is that Satan attacks people. Right now, this is not an excuse to sin and make wrong decisions. You just can't blame something. Well, yeah, I left my wife because Satan got in my face. I guess I just blew it. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. But Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So there's a real devil that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can bring division, disunity, envy, strife, and contention in people's lives, he is succeeding, at least as far as he thinks, right? But there's always a but, but I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So as we look at the carnage and we look at the wreckage of people's lives, we're going to see how can we help those people rebuild their lives and get healthy again. And then we're going to see how an abundant life can come into the picture. Okay? So, 
You know, if you picture these just brief scenarios I mentioned of uh, Satan attacking marriages, uh, whether it's through addiction, whether it's through sleeping with somebody else. I mean, I know somebody. He came home. His wife was uh, hooked on prescription drugs. He comes home really from a business trip or something, and his wife's sleeping with somebody else in bed. I mean, can you comprehend that? I can't comprehend that. I mean, this is in the church, right? The church. So who's going to help the woman? She needs help, right? And who's going to help the guy who came home and his wife's in bed with somebody else? That's horrible. I mean, that's, that's horrible. But we can do something about that. And it's no wonder, though, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, five stages of grief. Psychologists have come up with these stages. Well, they're real. I mean, if you go through that kind of thing, you're going to go through something, right? I mean, the first stage is shock. You're shocked. Your, your life is shattered if you come home to that type of a situation. Or if the husband is abusing and beating somebody up. Or, I mean, on and on and on. You, you are one broken person. And you need some serious encouragement and help. I mean, there's shock and denial. There's pain. I mean, I've, I've talked with people years late, years after it's happened, years, there's still an incredible pain and grief years after it's happened. And you think, well, they just need to get over it. Wrong. <laughs> that's, that's not the best attitude that we can have, telling someone just to get over something. Um, so, you know, there's pain. People feel guilty. You know, even if somebody, if your spouse leaves you, um, even if you're not, to, even if you have zero contribution to it, do you still, still think Satan would whisper, oh, you're a bad wife. That's why I left. You're a terrible husband. That's why she left you. So now you've got to deal with guilt and condemnation, right? Satan comes in. He just wants to beat you up. And then we have well, us well-meaning people in the church. We'll get over it. I mean, what do you mean you can't work? I can't work. I mean, I, I can't function. Well, you have a problem. I mean, you've you got to work. If a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. What's wrong with you? Right? Just quote Scripture at him. Well, then there's anger. People get angry. And they go to an extreme. They'll, they'll get resentful and bitter. Um, Depression, loneliness, withdrawal, and people I've talked to say they just want to die. It's, it's too hard. It's too much. They can't see a way out of it. And they, they just tell me, I want to die. I want it to be over with. And so you have thoughts of suicide. Um, finally, you know, by the grace of God, you reach, in a, you reach a point where you accept your situation. Okay, God, this happened to me. I'm trying to do everything I can to do the right thing. But God, I, I really need some encouragement and hope. I, I need to rebuild my life because I've been, I've been destroyed, Lord. I've been destroyed. Okay, so we have these stages. I just want to describe a little bit of what's going on. And you guys see it. You're not blind. The question is, what can we do to help people? That's the question. We have the answers, Right? So how can we help? Well, before we can even help people, um, and 
this was made pretty clear to me. Uh, you need to count the cost to helping people. And what do I mean by that? Let's say you know somebody who's in the midst of one of these situations I just described. And let's say you know them. And let's say God's kind of putting on your heart, maybe you should get up with them. Well, you need to really think about it because are you healthy? Are you spiritually strong? Is your family healthy? Are you physically healthy? Or are you involved in a a serious illness struggle? Because if you are, you're probably not ready to take on and try to help somebody with, with that level of need. Okay, um, we considered having uh, someone come live with us, and I've been thinking about it for months, and wanting to bring this person into our house. But I, you know, you just have to count the cost because, you know, I battled some health issues in the last year. Uh, we finally prayed and prayed, and finally did invite the person to come, but they they didn't want to come, which was okay. Um, so when you when you help somebody, it's going to take a lot out of you men- mentally, emotionally, and physically if you really want to help them. Now, I'm not saying you can't help somebody kind of in passing. You know, you see them at church. You say, hey, how you doing? I'm praying for you. Or maybe you hear they have a need. You go over to their house. You meet their need. And then you don't talk with them again for a couple of weeks. That's okay. Because every little bit, God's going to... Raise up every little gift. I'm talking about, though, coming alongside them and really walking through with them for a period of years. That's what I'm talking about. If you want to get into that level. <coughs> so, you've got to consider, count the cost. Alright, let's say you can do it. Let's say you can spend time with the person. You're talking going over there two, three, four times a week, being in contact with them, texting, on a regular basis. Okay, that's, that's the level of, of detail that I'm talking about um, because that's the level of detail that they need, really. How do you do it? Um, well, again, one, one more thing to consider that I thought about was let's say now you start meeting with them and uh, you have to discern do they need professional help? In other words, more than you can give them. If they're talking about suicide and wanting to kill themselves, you need to call the suicide hotline. You just go online and Google it. I've talked with them before. Um, And you have to make a decision if you're going to basically report them and turn them in. Okay, that's a hard decision to make. So you need to to figure that out. Um, Are they hysterical? In other words, on a regular basis, when you go see them and talk to them, do they work themselves up into hysterics on a regular basis? Well, they, they need more than you can give them, probably. They need a professional counselor or a pastor, a pastor that can handle that kind of thing. Um, are they delusional? You know, their, their mind's just not in reality. Their, their mind is just focusing. They're not focusing on God anymore, and they're delusional. Um, and are, are they really angry and bitter? Are they threatening? Are they vindictive? 
I mean, in a, in a big way, like there might be danger, like you might need to go to the woman or whoever, whatever the situation is and tell her to get a restraining order, that kind of a thing. So it's not an easy thing when you... There's a lot to consider if you want to help somebody who's really in need like this. Okay, but, so I'm just giving you just some introductory thoughts uh, on this. <clears throat> All right, so let's say... Let's say that uh, you can meet with them and God's going to use you to help them. So what are some do's and don'ts to helping people? Okay, so I'm going to give you pairs. Uh, the rest of this uh, service, I'm going to give you a pairs of do's and don'ts. And then next week, I'll, I'll give you more do's and don'ts on how to help people. Okay, number one, don't try to fix the person. I am Mr. Fix-It. I love fixing things. I'll fix toilets. I'll fix cars. I'll fix houses. I'll fix people. I'll fix toasters. I'll fix anything. I just love to fix it. If it's broken, I can't stand broken things. Now, when I first got saved, um, I was also a Bible answer man. So (laughs) when you get Mr. Fix-It combined with Bible answer man, it's not good. Unless you have love and grace to go along with that. So... I, I did hurt some people uh, early on, but fortunately they were gracious. They saw I was a young zealot. I mean, I was young in the Lord, so they were willing to, to work with me and have patience for me. Um, but you, can't, you cannot fix people. Why not? Where is the love when you treat people like a toaster? <laughs> I mean, you know, they don't, they, don't need, they don't need to feel like a toaster. Um, you know, it's, and you don't say to people, well, just read these two Bible verses and call me in the morning, okay? <laughs> you can't do that to people. I, I used to do that to people. But, um, because, you know, there was power in the Word. I knew if you, if you do this and read the Word, this is what God said, you'll be all right. But people have to have love first, right? Before you start telling them and fixing them. All right, so um, Job 2.11. This is really fascinating, actually. Job 2.11 through 13. Uh, Don't fix the person. Do show patience and kindness, right? I'm going to, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, love... I'm going to weave that through my do's and don'ts. All right, so love is patient, love is kind. We need to be patient with people. We need to be good listeners with people. But normally, um, these guys in Job, we get on them because they're an example of how to be a bad counselor. In other words, don't do what Bildad, Zophar, don't do what these guys did. Because basically, they said, hey, Job, you know why your, your children died? It's because you sinned. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. But they started off actually being a model. This is an example of what you want to do to people when you first see them and they're hurting. This is, this is a really tremendous thing. Look at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, you remember he lost his family, his brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters. He lost his fields. He lost his health. He lost his servants, right? You remember that? Okay, so 
his friends are coming, each one from his own place. So these guys, I don't know how far away they were from him, but they're traveling to be with him. Okay, I mean, they care about the guy. Eliphaz, Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, and they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. Okay, what do they want to do? Do they want to fix it? No. They want to sympathize. They want to show him empathy, right? They want to come alongside the guy and kind of like, you know, hug him type of a thing. It's going to be all right. All right, so verse 12, when they lift up their eyes from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. When you see somebody that's just been so battered and beat down, really the best thing you can do is weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. In fact, if you're going to say anything to them, the only, thing, the only words out of your mouth should be, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And you just cry. You cry with them. I am so sorry. That's all you say. That's all you do. You don't do anything. You just, for days, for weeks, that's all you do. I'm so sorry. Because it's, it's that painful and it's that terrible. These guys got it right. Verse 13. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and they tried to fix him. Oh, it didn't say that. With no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was great. How long did they sit there? A week, right? Just you know, Proverbs 17.28 says this, Even a fool is considered wise if he remains silent. Okay, there's a time... That's not... When you first are hanging out with somebody that's grieving and suffering tremendous loss, you just don't run your mouth. Okay? <laughs> you just don't do it. Um, <clears throat> if you do anything, you serve them. You, look, you take a look at their needs because their functioning level has been reduced from 100% down to 40, 30, 20, 10%. They're so brutalized, they're so, they're so shattered, they can hardly function. They might not even be able to cook a meal. They might not be able to clean their house. They might not be able to cut their grass. Well, that's what you have to do. That's what you want to do to help people. Alright, so don't try to fix the person. Do show patience and kindness. Be a good listener. Alright, that's, that's the first pair. Second pair, don't take the bait. What do I mean don't take the bait? Let's look at Luke 17. 17, 1. Jesus is talking to His disciples and He said, It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to Him through whom they come. It would be better for Him to, be, to have a millstone hung around His neck and He were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Okay, what's going on there? I'm not sure who the little ones are. Probably children. Could be people young in the faith. Uh, but certainly children, right? What's, he, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, look, if you do something, say something, you're some kind of an example that's going to cause 
someone to sin, if you're a bad example, if you're going to be a sinful example, <laughs> it's better that you weren't even born. I mean, that, that's, that's a terrible thing. So how, how am I applying this to helping people? When you help people, you're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. Because you've heard hurting people hurt people. Have you heard that? Well, it's true. I mean, I'm not even hurting sometimes and I hurt people. So if I'm hurting, I hurt people. (laughs) Right? You hurt people. We don't want to hurt people. But we do hurt people. We insult people, right? We say things we should... We say... Because... You know, when the, when the pain is so great, you lash out. You just do. So if you want to hurt somebody, you need a thick, a thick skin. If you can't take an offense or an insult, you know, don't even, don't even try helping them because that's just going to happen. You say, well, I don't, I mean, he's not gonna, they're not going to insult me. You know, I, I'm not going to be a doormat. They're not going to insult me. Oh, really? Well, they insulted Jesus. Didn't they? You know, we walk in his footsteps. Sometimes we get insulted. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about people assassinating your character. I'm, I'm not talking about that. Okay, if someone's assassinating your character. You can you can go try to stop it. That's fine. But I'm just talking about people that are really uh, profound grief. And just to give you an example, um, <laughs> I've been called a Pharisee. <laughs> I've been called uh, a legalist. I mean, that's not too bad, but um, <clears throat> what's the bait? What do, what do I mean, don't take the bait? Well, when you read that Scripture, stumbling block, the word literally means it's the trigger of a trap. Okay, it's the trigger of a trap. So what happens is you're trying to help somebody and whatever you say to them, sometimes you can't say the right thing. No matter what you say, it's going to be wrong. They react... And they call you a name. They call you a Pharisee. They call you a legalist. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, that's the bait. That's the trap. Okay, they're trying. It's, it's not that they're trying to do this consciously, but Satan is using them to throw out a trap to trap you. What's the bait? The bait is your wounded ego. It's wanting to defend yourself. And so I took the bait one time. Somebody said that to me. You know how your voice ra- raises when you start someone in- insults you, and your voice rises, and and then their voice rises, and then you say something you shouldn't say, and then they something say something you shouldn't say, and fortunately in this case, um, we we ended with forgiveness, uh, which was good, um, but just realize that don't take the bait, let your ego be offended. There's a brother years ago, he's from Wales actually, I used to listen to him. Uh, but he said, if you're offended, you needed to be offended. What did he mean? Well, if, if you react wrongly, even if someone treats you wrong, do you realize you're wrong? Isn't that the hardest thing? Especially when you're married, one, one spouse treats the other and they're clearly in the wrong but you react wrongly, you still have to go ask for forgiveness even though they never did. It's not fair. <laughs> it really isn't fair. <laughs> but, you know, 
Jesus' ways are different than our ways. So, um, What should we do? Don't take the bait. Uh, do cover the offense. How do you do that? Well, Proverbs 17.9 says, He who covers an offense promotes love. He who repeats the matter separates close friends. So what happens if someone insults you and you rise up and you get them back? And then they say something, you hurt each other, right? And now your friendship is shot. So here you are. God wants to use you to help somebody. If Satan can get bring division between you and this hurting person, he wins. So how do you cover how do you cover an offense? With love. First Peter four eight says this love covers a multitude of how does love cover a multitude of sins? Kind of be something nice to know, wouldn't it? I mean how when you're being insulted, how how do you handle that? You forgive them. Inside your heart, you, you make a choice. You say, Father, I forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I bless them. So they're insulting you and in your thought and in your mind, right? You're saying, God, this isn't easy. I bless them, God. I'm trying to bless them, Lord. I mean, but you can do that, right? <clears throat> All right, so we looked at some do's and don'ts. Uh, do cover the offense in love. Don't take the bait when you're talking to somebody. All right. Um, how can I conclude? I've got more pairs of do's and don'ts next Sunday I'm going to talk about. And we're getting ready to do communion. Uh, so how can I transition this message to communion? Well, really, love is patient. We saw love is patient, love is kind, right? Um, you know, the Scripture says, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. That's what this is all about. The whole thing is about love. We help people because Christ helped us. Love calls, covers a multitude of sins. We saw that. Um, but what has this got to do with communion? Everything. Because the human race crashed and burned through the effects of sin. And the human race, without Christ, would stand and face a holy God and be consigned to burn in a lake of fire forever. So the father said to his son, you know, son, they're, so, they're hurting so bad. They are so messed up. I'm going to have to judge them for their sins. They're just shipwrecked humanity. Would you go to earth and take the form of a man and then I want you to pay the the debt that they owe me for their sins. I want you to pay for that. Let them nail you on a cross. And I'm going to transfer the sin of the billions of people that ever and always will live on this planet. I'm going to transfer that debt to you. And I want you to forgive them. I'm going to forgive them. And those that put their trust in me, those that follow me, will have forgiveness of all their sins. I can rebuild them. I can help them. You can help them. And they'll have everlasting life. That's, so that's the light now. That's the vein. That's the attitude that we have when we see people who need help. It's, wow, 
I was in really bad shape. If you don't see the mark of maturity, I'm not saying I'm mature, but the mark of maturity is when you can say, I mean, I'm a miserable wretch, honestly. When you can say that honestly. When you can say, I'm poor, pitiful, naked, wretched, and blind, and mean it, okay, you're, you're seeing something. You're seeing what Christ came to earth to die for. Right? Even though I'm born again, I'm still messed up. I mean, I'm being renewed and, and transformed into His likeness, but I haven't been perfected yet. And if you hang out with me long enough, you'll see that. I promise I won't call you a Pharisee. <laughs> okay. So as we, as we contemplate now communion, what is communion? It's remembering Christ's death. What was the point? He loved us so much to come and help us messed up people. Right? So, that's, so when, when you think of communion today, I want you to think of how you're messed up. Think about before you got saved how messed up you were. And think about the argument you got in this morning. Okay, we still have a little ways to go. Right? Yeah. But remember, <laughs> I mean, what can we say? Lord, thank You. <laughs> thank You, Jesus. Because now I can overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm gonna, I've, I've got the victory. I've got the victory. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.